You're listening to the Future is Bilingual podcast. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Future is Bilingual podcast. I'm Heather. And I'm Martin. And we're here to talk about all things related to language, learning, and teaching. We have different backgrounds, but we both speak multiple languages and continue to learn more. I have two young children whom I'm raising bilingually, and I know it's going to get harder when they enter school. I started this podcast because I want to hear from other families who've successfully raised their children in more than one language. And I grew up in Poland and moved to the U.S. when I was 13. Now, I'm a children's librarian who works with a lot of kids and their parents, finding ways to meet their literature and bilingual needs, no matter what part of the world they come from. We also hope to use this platform as a way to promote bilingual education and multiple cultural identities. We want to normalize immigrant experiences and multilingual environments. We will bring you in-depth discussions on topics related to language acquisition and maintenance, as well as interviews with multilingual speakers from around the world. We hope you really enjoy the podcast and learn something new about bilingualism with every episode. Today, we're going to talk about language attrition, which you may or may not have heard about already. But I did say that um, I had a surprise for you guys. This is the first episode of season two, and I would like to welcome my co-host, Marcin. Welcome. Hello, welcome, and thank you. I am excited to, um, to try this very um, new experience for me as a co-host. Um, and some of you may have heard me already um, talking with Heather about my, a little bit more about my life. So if you're interested in that, you can listen to that. Uh, but I, um, I've been learning languages for a long, long time. And I started with Russian and then English and then German and French and um, a little bit of, you know, Norwegian, Danish, Spanish, French, um, in Italian, in, um, in very small amounts, but all very fun. Excellent. And if you can't tell, because he has an amazing accent, Marcin is from Poland. So he's a native Polish speaker. Um, and if, like he said, if you haven't heard his story, you can go back and listen to the previous episodes. So um, I thought it would be nice to have another voice on the podcast, not just my own. Um, and especially someone who has all the experience, as you just heard, that he has learning languages, being a multilingual, uh, plurilingual uh, speaker. So we're going to talk today about language attrition. Uh, we want to start with some definitions. Then we're going to get into some of the reasons that this might happen, um, along with some personal anecdotes, not our own, but from other people um, as well. And then finally, we want to end with what you can do to, to kind of prevent this from happening. So if we are bilingual, multilingual, most of us would like to keep uh, our level and not lose and drop to a lower level. So we're gonna end kind of on a positive, what we can do. Uh, all right, so you wanna start with the first definition? Yeah, um, so we have a few definitions that kind of des describe it. Well, actually, I, I wanna start with my favorite because um, mm -hmm. language, Languages is like riding a bike. You don't lose it, but you get a bit wobbly. So what that means is that you gradually reduce or lose your linguistic knowledge and skills um, over time. And that is probably a good way to, to start it. Um, so it's, a, it's yeah. a reduction and a weakening or loss of a language. And 
we will be focusing on first language, but that can happen to any of your languages. And I can um, sure say a lot about that in, in terms of, you know, the, the smaller languages you study. Uh, you, you learn language for a few months and then a year later, you mm -hmm. realize there's very little left. Oh, yeah, so frustrating. I've had that happen with many languages when you don't have such a strong grasp on them and you, you feel like you've studied a lot, but time goes by and then they're, they're gone, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a definition of uh, language attrition that mm -hmm. I like is that um, you are, yeah, reduction, weakening, like you said, um, but just forgetting. So it, like, if we don't use it, people say this a lot, if you don't use it, you lose it. So forgetting mm -hmm. of a native language, but it could also be the second, third, fourth, like Martin said. Um, and yeah. just, yeah, focusing on the skills and knowledge. So I know a lot of times with me, it's been words. So that concrete uh, knowledge that I just, I can't come up with the word, but I have it in another language, um, but also the skills. So maybe your writing's gotten weaker or speaking, yeah. <laughs> um, things like that. Yeah. And that, def mm -hmm. that definition was from uh, Ung Sung Park from 2018, the gradual reduction or loss of linguistic knowledge and skills. And he specifically says in an individual or she, I'm sorry. Um, so I think that's really mm -hmm. important that we're talking about individuals. We're not talking about a community losing language, but just one person. Yes, I mean, that can be an episode all to itself um, with communities losing mm -hmm. language, but even with how languages evolve over time. Uh, we all know this when we're, whenever we're watching an old movie, um, yeah. So to hear how how we've changed the way we we speak on a on That's a very true. Yeah, it's so true. I didn't think about that before, but you're right. Watching something from the 1960s, it's like a whole yeah. other world. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it happens in every language. Um, that at, at least in every language that I have had experience with, and I see no reason why it would be different in other languages um, mm -hmm. from one generation to the next things change uh, and you listen to teens and it's hard to understand them sometimes because they have their own lingo and um, yes we were like that not too long ago and now it's the next generation but that attrition is, that is so true yeah but attrition is slightly different than that but it's but it's a concept that I think even if you haven't um, heard the term like it's 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 a concept you are more or less familiar with um, mm -hmm. probably yes for sure and we'll we'll give you some, some more examples. So it, if you're still not uh, completely sure what we're talking about, we'll give you some very concrete examples from ourselves and uh, people that we know. So some of the reasons or factors why this might happen, um, probably one of the, the first ones that comes to mind is that um, you emigrate or you leave your country to go live in another country. Yes. Um, so this, I mean, is like, one of the most well-known because you just kind of cut off the contact with that language unless you have a community around you um, or you make a, a big effort to kind of keep in contact with that country. Yeah, and it's and it's hard even if if you are, um, you know, in contact with with some of the language, like the, just the sheer immersion um, will will can overwhelm you. Um, that, that's basically what happened to me um, when I moved. Mm -hmm. um, I moved early enough that I was um, not completely fluent, but 
you know, late enough that I, I don't think the language I was ever at a, um, there was ever a chance that I would completely lose the language. And especially since we kept it at home, uh, we kept, mm-hmm. you know, spoke Polish at home. Um, but, you know, as, as years went by and I got to be about 18, 19, you know, about five, six, seven years after emigrating, um, I realized how poor my Polish had gotten. So then I had to make an effort to to bolster it again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, we do have some research about this that, um, so I'm quoting here. Once past puberty, Dr. Schmidt says your first language is stable and the effects of attrition can reverse themselves if you are reimmersed. And I want to put another if on that. Um, that's yeah. from an article on bbc.com. Um, I feel like if you make the effort, um, so maybe being immersed would be enough. Like if you moved back to your, your original country, um, that would be probably enough. Um, but since you didn't, you stayed in the U S you had to make a concerted effort to really reimmerse yourself in all the other times of the day that you could. So I feel like living with your parents, there's a very specific way of speaking at home, not specific, but like, Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the hundred percent of an experience that you would have if you worked and commuted and watched TV and listened to all radio. If you're completely immersed, it's so much more than just speaking with your parents. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that's where, even with me learning Polish, I kind of learned the same way that you were living here. Like I just learned in the house with my um, husband's family and it, it isn't the full, I don't feel like I learned the full uh, language that way no you have to add additional one thing I one thing that I noticed about that is that when I was um, um, I've noticed that for example I was my Polish was very strong when it came to as you say like things around the house so I was very good with names of everything around the house and all the ho- household items and everything in the kitchen all the utensils and all the um, mm-hmm. different like, instruments you might use there but then when I was trying to translate those to English, if I needed to talk to someone about that, I realized that I was lacking those skills because I never had to um, use mm-hmm. that lingo um, in an English environment for a very long time. So that was, to me, that was an mm-hmm. interesting realization that there are certain pockets of uh, cer- certain areas where where I was able to speak English fluently, like in the, you know, mm-hmm. in school, like what we were talking about in school and, and in even in the academia later when I was in college, um, I was able to communicate there very fluently. But if, if we were to, you know, when if we were to like talk about much more mundane things, then I was missing work, yeah. um, even though I was so fluent um, in an academic sense. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like as a teacher, I've seen like, there's always a unit on the house and, you know, that kind of like chores and all that sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, I guess but don't skip it over. They try. Like, I feel like we try and teach it to the students, but it's not the same. It's not the same to study it for a week or two as it is to have your mom telling you every weekend, like, go clean your room, you know, yeah. mop the floor. Um, yeah. I just feel like it, it's not as much repetition. And it's, I feel like students are bored by it because they don't want to talk about chores and spatulas and household items. Yeah. <laughs> and spatula. I feel like spatula is never on there. Like, all those important utensils aren't even in the book more yeah. just like chores and yeah those are and those the, words that you don't know if you yeah. like when I just studied French and I would go to France I didn't know the word for whisk and spatula mm-hmm. and 
you know, they give you the basics like a pan. But yeah, the, the big one for me was also bed sheets. When I wanted to buy new bed sheets, oh. I really had no idea what any any of it is called. Um, mm-hmm. And then so I so it was a very strange experience um, buying bed sheets when I was like when I moved out and I had to get new all yeah. new things. You're a full fledged adult, and you're like, how do I say these things? Yes. Yeah, but I know. I feel that way. Other than that, what what is everything else? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for some reason, I can't remember those in Polish. I keep looking them up, and I just they don't stick with me for some reason. So it's the same problem. Yes, just reversed. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think you had a story. You have a friend, Michael. Do you want to tell us about him? Yeah, Michael is a he's a he's a great great guy. If you have a chance to to meet him, you definitely should. Um, it might be difficult unless you live in Korea at the moment because that's where he is. Um, he grew up. He was born and grew up in Brazil. Um, so obviously he learned Portuguese, you know, for first that was his first native language, um, and he lived there until he was about eighteen or so. At, at which time he moved to the U.S. And at first he moved. Um, he was in the Boston area in Massachusetts, so he was. Um, and there were at that time a lot of um, Brazilian immigrants, uh, so he was able to, you know, improve his English and learn English and um, keep his Portuguese. Uh, after a while, he moved to Western Mass, so there were probably less um, Portuguese speakers that he was around. But mm-hmm. you know, many years later, when about when he was about thirty-five or so, he he went to he moved to Korea. Um, and at that point, he became completely cut off from from Portuguese speakers, um, and and obviously he had to really um, try hard to learn Korean at that time because he learned a little bit when he was in the U.S., but not too much. Mm-hmm. But a few years later, he started streaming on Twitch. Uh, if if anybody is familiar, like it's a gaming uh, streaming platform, so you can. Um, watch him play games but he mm-hmm. you know as he started it he decided to include all his languages so he said like hey if you speak Portuguese and if you speak um, English and if you speak Korean stop by so wow. people from Brazil would find him and they would start speaking to him and he realized how much he lost of the language um, so and he wait I have to, to yeah. stop you because I don't know what Twitch is no, is um, he is he playing a game and chatting? Is it like yes. yeah, that so kind of interactive? See, yes. Um, so you okay. can see his computer screen. It's part of your screen will be the game he's playing. And then okay. there's a camera of him so you can see him. And there's a chat component so you can write. And then he can talk back to you and answer and, and you know, how you... he's playing. Okay. But are you playing with him or just watching? Uh, mostly As just he... watching. Yeah. Okay. That's the generally the platform is made that way, but there are you know streamers and he's one of them that they do um, times where you can play with him and you join a game. But yeah, most people are there to to watch other people play, and huh. so he was finding all these um, or all these Brazilians were finding him and and talking to him and they were you know probably excited to talk with him and he realized how hard he had to work to answer their questions. Um, and, he, and with time, it started getting better. And he he compared it to to a zip file on a computer where um, your computer can take you know a lot of information and kind of zip it up into a smaller bit and put it away for later. And when it needs it, it unpacks it. And that's what he feels like 
his brain was doing. It was unpacking all that information that was stored unused for so long. And it was taking a while for that to get decoded so he could start using mm-hmm. it. Um, so this it was- is the most, uh, what I want to say, like computer tech savvy this podcast has ever gotten, but yes. <laughs> and it's probably one of the more tech oriented explanations of, of you know, mm-hmm. linguistic um, terminology around. Well, yeah. Michael's into that, that world. So he's given you this comparison, but I think it is a good comparison. I don't know if everybody knows the zip files. I almost never use them, but yeah, I get the idea that you've kind of stored it away. Yeah, you um, pass until later. Away. And it's such, it must be such a weird feeling. And I've had it a little bit, but not to this extent where you feel like you don't speak your native language mm-hmm. <laughs> up, up to par. Like I only spent two years in France and I came home feeling, feeling that way a little bit. Um, and just feeling that my accent had changed, like the way I spoke changed. Yeah. Um, just the whole thought process, everything it's, and that was yeah. a short you know, relatively short period of time. So when I visit, can only Poland, imagine. yeah, I get that when I visit Poland, say so like, oh, you have an American accent. And, you know, depending <laughs> on the day, you'll, you'll hear me and you'll say, oh, okay, you have a slight Polish accent. And, but apparently um, I do no matter what language I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. And that can be interesting. And um, yeah. And, and with me, it's usually individual words that I can't remember, um, but it's never, I never have an issue with expressing, you know, larger ideas. It's individual words that are escaping. So Mm -hmm. it's that, well, that's, and I guess it's our next um, reason and factor is the lack of contact with the language, which can lead to lexical gaps and missing vocabulary. And and I've used that a little bit. And and actually Michael was talking about it as well. And and his, um, in his explanation of how he feels about it, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm—I mean, this is why. So, as you all know, um, Marcin and I both speak Polish, and we we joke often about the American Polish community has all these English words that have been Polonized. I don't know if I can mm-hmm. say that, but made to sound like a Polish word, um, and it just happens because, like, oh, this—I can't think of this word. I'm just going to say this word. Yeah, so, I mean, there's many examples, and I'm sure that's not a unique thing to this community. I'm sure many communities will do that, but. Yeah. And, I, and I always wondered because I've noticed that it's often verbs and nouns. It never seems to be adjectives or adverbs that mm. are getting treatment. And I wonder how yeah. that, or that, you know, how similar that is in other languages that do similar things. So to be continued, we will do some research on that because that is, it is fascinating. So maybe that'll be a future episode. That would be um, a- I did receive an email from um, a follower on Facebook. Hi guys, sorry, quick correction. Liz is a follower on Instagram, not Facebook. Thanks. And I thank her very much. Um, Elise sent me a, an email and she did say that I could share some of it. So I won't, I won't read the whole thing, but um, she's French and she's lived in the US for 11 years. And her um, husband is American and didn't really speak French when they first met. Um, so she, just mentioned how her her whole goal, her whole purpose when she first moved was that she wanted to be, you know, speak English as well as she could. So she says that she wanted to know all the phrases, be able to make jokes. So she really wanted to be proficient. Um, And she isolated herself into this, she calls it an English bubble. So everything she did, her TV, radio, books, 
work, talking with her husband, talking with friends. She did everything in English and she didn't really realize, um, but she was starting to lose her French. And then her, she would call her family like once a week. And then they started commenting that, you know, that's not the right word. Um, oh, you know, just little things that um, it was becoming noticeable that her French was getting worse and worse. So it is a slow process. Um, so many of us might not notice it happening, but at a, at a certain point, she did say that there was specific points where she did notice. Um, like you were saying, specific words wouldn't come. Um, but I yeah. think what really stuck out about her email was the emotion because she mentions it was embarrassing. Um, she felt sad, frustrated, shameful. And um, these aren't things that we, we can really talk about. Like if our family is all, like she left France, if her whole family's back there and they're all monolingual, they're not really gonna understand her if she wants to talk about this. And you know, on the other side, her husband's here, he's American, he's maybe monolingual, maybe speaks a little bit of French she was mentioning, but you know, she doesn't really have someone that's gonna understand exactly what she was feeling and going through at that time. Um, she did mention though that she had, um, she has a few kids now and she worked really hard herself to get French back into her life um, because when she started to speak to her daughter, she, so she noticed her like vocabulary was kind of limited. Mm -hmm. So, um, and she was like, oh, I need to do something. So she proactively took all these actions. So she stopped reading in English. She only read in French. She was reading, um, watching TV, reading, doing everything she could, um, listening to French podcasts, doing, you know, even getting back into like French humor because it's different. Every culture has their own mm -hmm. sense of humor. Um, the pop cultural references, you know, all that stuff. Like my husband and I talk about it, how we don't like, we don't know the, the politicians back in Poland, like listening to the Polish news doesn't really mean that much to us because yeah. we're so focused on our politics. Um, right. Because they're more pertinent. They're more you know, in our face right now. You are here. Um, but she does, you know, end well that she, her seven-year-old, her daughter's now seven. She is a huge chatterbox, she said, in both English and French. <laughs> um, she has a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And so she's raising them bilingually. She does mention how her husband supports them and his French has gotten better. Um, and I was just so touched by her email. Um, so we've had a little back and forth, but I think that's just, it's really important to talk about how much emotion can go into this and shame, you know, if, if this is something that you're struggling with, you're not alone. <laughs> um, yeah. There's definitely other people that are going through this and it's not, not something we really talk about, you know, it might be something that we, we feel is happening and then we try and avoid it. We don't want to talk about it. Um, and I mean, there's other things we're going to talk about stigmas um like if you're an immigrant um i know you're going to talk more about this um but just the desire to assimilate which is what she mentioned she really wanted to just immerse herself into this american culture and fit in with all of you know her husband and their friends um when she has kids all the school parents so there is a lot of pressure to just assimilate and you can only do so much there's only so many hours in a day and um, sometimes Sometimes I think maybe among you know monolinguals um, there is that idea that immigrants don't want to assimilate or learn the language, and that is by and large false. Virtually everybody mm -hmm. wants to learn the language and they want to, um, you know, 
fit in, but but also just want to be able to communicate and live a normal life. And but but there are these different forces, and and um, the the shame is like, or you know, the the shame or negative feelings of losing a language are very strong. That is, after all, where you come from, and and that is a very such an important part of people's identities. Mm-hmm. Um, so these these different forces are are at, at you know they have a, a little bit of tug of war with each other um but it's never that people don't want to learn the language of the country they they've come to live in um right and we is, see people at their different stages and if they're at their you know a low point in the language like they haven't learned a lot yet then we judge them like oh they're not making an effort and it's like well yeah. no they just came here a few months ago or or whatever you know or they have a big community of people who speak their language and they haven't had the need yet to really and they might also have the economic disadvantages where they have to work um say they have to work a couple different jobs to make ends meet and at the end of the day you're exhausted you you don't have the mental capacity to to learn and study the language and pick it up more or even know where to and i know Lots of libraries will offer free courses, but maybe they're working during that time. Um, and they, maybe they just don't even know about it. So that was, I taught ESL at a library and I feel like getting the message out was such a big struggle too. Like we had a small group, but I feel like there were so many more people that we could have been reaching and yeah. they couldn't come for whatever reason, but yeah, you just, you don't know. Yeah. And the library I work at as well, we have a, um, an ELL center where people who have come from other countries do get, they, they can come in for conversation circles and they have one-on-one tutors. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it's an incredible work. And it's, it's you know, I mean, run by by a, a person that, you know, works at the library, but the vast majority of the work, like all the people who are, the, all the people who basically do it are volunteers. They they volunteer their time to, to be mm-hmm. for an hour, a couple hours a week with a, with an immigrant and helping them acquire the language, and it's it, it's an incredible work, but um, but it's hard if you don't have if your hours are limited because um, yeah. you've moved here and you're trying to to make ends meet and assimilate. Uh, it's not it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have another question for you. Yeah. What about perceived language prestige? Yeah, that one. It's a very subjective. Um, thing, but it's very real, uh, where people consider some languages to be more important and more prestigious than others. And English comes, you know, pretty much at the top of that hierarchy through historical mm-hmm. reasons. Um, but it's become a, a pretty much the um, the universal language in the world. So people naturally will be drawn to it. Um, and if you come from another country that is not very high up on that in that you know perceived hierarchy of languages mm-hmm. then it's much harder to keep um to keep that and in mm-hmm. terms of um you know th- there was a, a family uh, i was reading a a um an article about a family of german americans who had um there were three siblings and the mother was German and the father was Polish and they moved to the US and the father was a, a huge proponent of German speaking at home and he make, made sure all his kids learned German and they spoke German at home. Um, and the article didn't mention why German and not Polish, but it seems that perhaps there was some of that 
conscious or uh, unconscious um, hierarchy on there. Yeah. Um, and and there are very specific historical reasons why you know German Poles and Polish Germans might choose one language over another as well. But um, mm -hmm. language seems to be one of the reasons for that. Yeah, and it, I'm just thinking about it. How we even in the U.S. like we only kind of teach certain languages, so Spanish, French, second, maybe some German. Yes. Um, but I mean, we're just kind of in that cycle of like. Well, these are the top languages in Europe, you know, French um, and then German for the, the EU and then Spanish just for the number of speakers and the proximity that we have to uh, Central and South America. Mm -hmm. And I just, I feel like it's like a vicious cycle because we don't offer, let's say less procedures or like less commonly spoken or less well-known languages. And then they become less well-known because nobody's studying them. Um, right. and even though we have like a huge Vietnamese population in our area mm -hmm. you know that's never been a language that's been offered right um, it, it's just that's yeah it's a shame but it is very real um and it's going to mm -hmm. change uh, you know depending mm -hmm. on where you're living the different situation but I do think yeah English is a lingua, lingua franca right now which it's just the language used everywhere um and I just had an interview um, on a Polish podcast and she kind of playing devil devil's advocate asked me, you know, why, you te why teach your kids Polish? Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're in America, you're an English speaker, <laughs> you know, English is so much more important than Polish. And, you know, that is an argument that people would, would make. So she was kind of just playing devil's advocate to see what I would say. But um, that is a real thought that a lot of people have you know, totally disregarding all the benefits of being bilingual, um, disregarding the fact that that's half of my family's, you know, my, my husband's whole side is Polish. <laughs> it's like, yeah, which is, which is important, but also there are, you know, on an upside of that, if you speak a language that is lesser, like less popular, um, that might still get you um, career opportunities. And we have a couple of friends who were able to, you know, their job paid for them to, to go to Poland, um, mm -hmm. you interviewed one of them, uh, but we have at least one more who, who went to mm -hmm. Poland, actually not too far from his birthplace um, and, and spent you know a few months there that his company paid for just because he was able to speak the language. Um, so even if it's a yeah. prestigious language, that doesn't mean that it's not, that it wouldn't lead to opportunity. In the future. Serve you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like the more languages you know, the easier it is to learn the next one. And, you know, that might not be the end of the story for you. You know, if you speak these two languages, maybe that's going to help you learn a third yeah. one, which is going to help you land that job. So it's not the end all be all. Um, but yeah, we could oh, talk yeah. at length about this. Um, so the, let's see, the path of least resistance, we both know this very well. And we kind of mentioned this, yeah. how, you know, one word will come in English even if you're speaking Polish, and for me, that happens all the time. Yeah, it's very easy for that to happen, and it's um, and there are many reasons for that. One is that yeah, it's the path of least resistance. It's the easier thing to do, but also, you know, it's you, at the end of the day, you might be you're you're tired and your your brain is exhausted, and it's it's not as easy to to then try very hard to. Um, to think in, in a second language. Um, and also, especially if it happens a lot, you know, at some point that exhaustion will kick in. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, we, we do that a lot. And, and which is probably why so many, there are so many polonized English words um, and same with other languages um, that happens as well. Um, it's mm-hmm. just so easy. And I just, yeah, if you work all day, you're spending your whole day in a certain language, it is hard to have to, tra- you know, literally translate all these different words because they might not be things that you were in contact with in your native tongue. Yeah. These might be new things that, you know, you didn't, you might be able to learn the word for, but you learned it over mm-hmm. here in your second and, language. You know, you, you want to so tell a story of what happened uh, to you during the day, but that story took place in one language and then you're at the end of the day you're trying to communicate that to someone in another language that's it's it's easier especially if if both of you speak the other you know both languages it's easy to Mm -hmm. slip back and and i think this happens a lot with kids so once once they go to school they're speaking the majority language and if parents also speak it when they come home it's just it's so easy to just fall into that majority language because the child's home and exhausted mm. from school and they just want to tell you about their day in which everything happened in that majority language so it just it is it's a fine line to be like no tell me in mm. this language you know you just want to hear them like they have something that they want to tell you and you want to give them the space to say it yeah and it's so, and yeah. i run into that with my nephew a lot because he's seven now so he you know his language is is quite expansive now um and he can say a lot in in English because he goes to school in English, and that's what he learns. And if I if I speak to him in Polish and he doesn't understand something, he'll just say like, "Hey, why don't you just say it in English?" You know. Um, I love the honesty. <laughs> yeah, kids. it'll be it'll be faster for us to communicate that way. Yeah, why are you complicating this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, so we have listed many things and we, we have some more do you want to list a couple more and then i want to recap all these reasons why to, you there might be language yeah attrition. i want to mention um a little more on the stigma of immigrants that mm-hmm. um because that's something that is at the that is very present still and it's historically been very present and then when i worked at uh at the polish center uh at, it's a polish museum of you know museum of polish history and polish american history a lot of um, people that visited and I would give tours to and, and um, you know, we would chat about their, you know, most of the people were, um, were Polish Americans and they, they were second, third, even fourth generation Polish Americans and virtually none of them spoke Polish, but so many of them, the vast majority would say that when their parents came or grandparents and they spoke Polish, they didn't want to teach the kids. They said, hey, they won't accept you until you know English or you have to speak English because you have to be American and you have to assimilate, be a part of the culture. And and they just would not teach the kids. And it was so, it must have been hard for the parents too, because it's not like they wanted to, in most cases, give up their native, their native language. Um, because it was a huge part of their identity, but they said, "No, we we've come here now, and it's a and it's it's a complete, you know, 180. Like we're completely different people now, and that can be really difficult. And and you know, virtually all the people that were telling these stories would would feel sad about that. They they wish they all wish that that was not the case. Like they all had wished that they were learning Polish when they were kids and 
we were learning different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens to this day, you know, you, you hear people like, who are unhappy that when they hear another language um, and don't see it as a blessing. So that you know, stigma is very present um, and something that we have to speak up, you know, against whenever we can, um, especially those of us who are in more privileged positions. Um, like I'm in a more privileged position than somebody who is struggling with English and is speaking with a thick accent. It, it'll be harder for them to stand up and say, no, wrong, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to me, who is, you know, who, who passes for a native and, and um, is, you know, relatively well-educated. Um, so I can, I have more perceived power in, in these um Mm-hmm. yeah I just I, it almost sounds like it was like a test like back in the day like oh if, if they hear an accent on you like they might kick mm-hmm. us out or something like like your status was in jeopardy yeah. it's just it's, it is sad and I I do agree that um so many people have said you know to me to you we've all heard it that oh my parents spoke this language and I really wish they had taught me and I would uh say that there's probably zero to very few people that would say, oh, my parents taught me two languages and I really wish they had it. Yes. So, (laughs) I mean, and even if you don't, even if you've lost, you've, you know, had some attrition and you've lost a lot of skills in one of those languages, I still don't think that you would regret having learned to, you know, from a young age, because we all know that it's, you know, kids are like little sponges and they soak it all yeah. up and they're just they're in that sensitive time for language where they just they're listening they're repeating they don't have any sense of shame that's what's great about little toddlers <laughs> they just say what they're they think saying. um but they don't have that what's well, not shame but the um like self-awareness that like oh people might judge me if yeah. i say this or do this so they'll just practice with no filter and it's yeah. amazing but it- um, amazing to watch toddlers it might happen once they they go to school and it's very important that schools um recognize that and and you know champion um bilingualism and understand it um Mm -hmm. when i was when i was in um many 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 years ago when when i was in college i one of my classmates was um was a substitute teacher and he was telling me about a school that he um taught at for a little bit um, where if you were speaking another language, you know, in between classes, in the hallway, during lunch breaks, they would tell you, you have to speak English. And we're talking about, you know, the U.S. about 10 years ago. This isn't, we're not talking about years wow. ago. So, so it's very important that schools recognize that and champion, um, champion these, you know, the, the bilinguals that are, that they have in the schools um, and, yes. and parents and, um, you know, all of us, we need to, if, if that's not happening, that's something that we, we may need to um, bring up in school. Right. Almost like we need to reclaim yeah. it. Like speaking two languages is not shameful. It's not, it shouldn't be stigmatized. It should be something to be celebrated. Yeah. Almost turning it back on its head. So um, we do want to give you some things you can do. But before we do that, just because we kind of spoke at length um, about all of these reasons, I just want to kind of go through them quickly just to recap what we've been talking about so reasons for attrition could be emigration which is leaving one's country to move to another um, how old you are when you left 
So if you reach puberty or not, you know, how ingrained that language is into your, your brain. Uh, lack of contact with a language. Uh, having lexical gaps, missing vocabulary words. Taking the path of least resistance. So just speaking whatever language comes to you more easily, which is usually majority language. A perceived uh, language prestige. So believing that one language is more important than another which is kind of linked to the stigma of immigrants um, and the desire to assimilate. And let's see, um, we didn't really talk at length about these, but um, that uh, people who are adopted either internationally or interculturally. So it, um, I read an article that mentioned that, you know, most adoptions take place before the age of two. People want young kids, uh, but even if they happen later, like all the way up to 10, um, most of those adoptees will lose their first language. So, and they, they mentioned how parents, the adoptive parents will try and um, keep up the culture and the language and take trips, but um, unfortunately, majority language takes over. Um, refugees, we didn't mention, but we talked about moving to another country, but refugees as a specific category um, often will have a traumatic experience and they might suppress um, or abandon or just, you know, turn away from their first language if it's related to that experience that they have lived through. So definitely would be a reason why you might lose skills in that language. And the last one I wanted to touch on is um, that uh, there was a case that a lot of Americans know about with um, Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. So he was held captive for five years by Taliban fighters in Afghanistan. He was 23 when this happened. And of course, you know, he was an uh, English speaker, but he, when he came back, he had lost some of his language skills. So, it, you know, that made national news. And that was probably the biggest story where we had language attrition uh, in the, the news in US. All right, did I miss anything? No, I think you've covered everything. And that, that was an extreme um, case. Very extreme, yeah. So that's not typical. Yeah. But but I just think it is interesting that it was in the news, you know, that had made headlines. Yes. All right, Shet, let's get to, let's uh, give you some positives, things that you can do, shall we? <laughs> because, yeah, this is the, the more fun part that we'll spend less time on than the right. less fun part. Um, right. <laughs> the, you know the, the the big one to start with is to keep your your heritage language or your native language your your dormant language active every day no you know just very little um e even if it's just little things you want to you know mm -hmm. listen to music and and watch tv or videos or shows and listen to podcasts and and uh, read books in your in your native language or your heritage language um and that will help you uh, prevent and slow down your the attrition. Yeah, and I, I mean, we say little things and, you know, a song could be a few minutes, but I do think it takes a little extra effort to like even think to do that. Like it's so easy to just back to that path of least resistance. Yeah. You know, watch whatever's on the regular channels and listen to whatever's on the, the radio that comes on, you know, when you turn the dial and not, get an app to listen to foreign radio yeah. um so i do and you know finding the book in the foreign language like it does take a little extra step um or even you know finding a show so luckily things like 
we have, you know, YouTube, we can find videos in all languages, but we do, you know, sometimes it has an extra cost. You know, some parents will get magazines or buy books, you know, that they have extra costs along with them, but definitely whatever it is you enjoy or whatever it is your children enjoy, um, you know, try and get their input and, you know, even something as silly as just following someone on social media, you know, if you actually read what they've written in the comments, that, that can also help. Yeah. And so. you'll, you'll get natives um, answering that. And, you know, in terms of books too, even if you, if you are, if you're maintaining a language that is not, um, you know, so high up the, the prestige ladder, um, if it's, you know, mm -hmm. never, never feel like, you know, you can always visit your libraries and they're able to get books um, in many different languages from other places and um, never feel, you know, discouraged if, if the library you visit do doesn't have that, your language, um, and definitely feel totally entitled yes. to talk to the librarians about the language you're, you're interested in and you need because, um, you know, they, they should, um, do whatever they can to help you get those books. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. and if they're not, then you can always reference me, you know, you can say that Marcin said you need to do this and he's a, he's a librarian. So, yep. um, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Use your resources. Yeah. So libraries are awesome. Um, I don't know about other States, but we have the interlibrary loan so we can order things from my, my, my cell phone from any library in Massachusetts. Yeah get it sent to my local library. So I hope other states and countries have things like that. But if not, talk to the librarian. They will do that work on their end. Yes, things are possible. You know, the internet is amazing. So however you can get your input every day, for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, another one is trips back to, um, or not back to, but trips to a country where the language is spoken or trips back home. Yeah, I mean, that is research after research um, maybe somewhat obviously proves that that is pretty much by far the best way to to maintain a language is mm -hmm. to is to visit um, a country or a, an area where it is spoken broadly and um, and you know to go with that like staying in touch or reconnecting with family members um, who speak mm -hmm. that language and maybe don't speak your majority language or the majority language of where you live um, and then, you know, pen pals um, are not as popular maybe as they were 20, 30 years ago, but that is definitely mm -hmm. letter writing uh, is definitely a, a great skill to be, to be sought after and reacquired. Mm -hmm. What do you think is, is like so special about going to the country? Um, it, why, why is that the best? Well, it, it's, it's in a way like a two-pronged approach because on the one hand you are completely immersed, which is the best that the best way to to learn and relearn is to to just be completely surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think there is any better motivator than um, you know knowing that you will be traveling and and going, um, so you will be super excited to be learning. Um, and the time you spend on on reacquiring your language uh, will not you know feel like a chore um if you, mm -hmm. if, if you're not if you don't have any plans to travel it might you know after a while it might be it might be more exhausting but with that the, um, mm -hmm. it will, it's a concrete it is goal. an incredible goal and um you can yeah um 
I, I don't see a better way to to be motivated to learn or relearn. Yeah. Like I had a I have a coworker who was um who's a German American. His his dad is German. Um and you know they grew up speaking a little bit of German, but it wasn't until he decided to spend a semester in Germany and he really picked up the language again. And um unlike all the other American students he traveled with, he was taking all German classes because he said, you know, I might as well go all in. Um, and he was able to visit his his grandmother um, and speak with her. And she would teach him, you know, the local dialect, uh, which was not necessarily yeah. the German that he learned in classes. Um, and it was the mm -hmm. and you get to be there every day and you, you know, go outside and you just see the language all over the place. Um, yeah. You hear it, you see it. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. And good for him for taking all classes. Yeah. Because so many people go abroad and they'll just take as many classes in English as yeah. they can. Like, why are you going abroad? But to each their yeah. own, to each their own. Um, another thing you can do, which this whole podcast is about, is um, have it, you know, the, the parents using the L1 or whatever that, that language is. So L1 is a term that we have in our notes that a lot of people reference. So the native language or the first language. Um, but yes, parents keeping the language at home, keeping it alive, um, has very strong correlations to language maintenance. And there are many studies, there's lots of people who do research on um, minority language maintenance or heritage language maintenance. So you'll hear those two terms. Yeah. Um, so heritage speakers are uh, usually relating to children who are in school, but people who speak um, a language at home that's different than the community language. Yeah. So parents, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> and also, we, we can say, awesome. like, the, the, maybe almost the last one is um, when we talked about the path of least resistance, we said, like, oh, we say some things in um, the language we're not as comfortable with and then shift back to, to the more comfortable language. But it's still, you're still using that. So mode mixing is both a factor for maintenance okay. and attrition because if you were to completely switch to the majority language that you're more comfortable with, and not use your your other language at all, um, lose it more completely. But if you if you switch back and forth, it's not as exhausting for your brain, uh, and you and you get some of that practice in. So, um, yeah, when your children want to switch back to, you know, English for us um, a, once in a while, then that's perfectly okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, code switching is completely normal. A lot of parents worry that their kid is confused or they're not learning properly or this is just not working we should stop speaking this other language we should focus on the majority language but it is completely normal for kids for teenagers for adults I think we all have done if you speak two languages you've definitely uh, code switched well if you have another bilingual speaker who speaks those two languages with you otherwise it wouldn't make sense to code switch um, but yeah it's definitely a balancing act um, trying to maintain all of your languages so that you don't lose um, your skills that you worked hard to build. You know, you don't, especially if it's your native tongue, because there's so much of your identity. And I think the longer you study a language, the more of, the more of your identity gets wrapped up in being a speaker of that language. Um, so that's where all the emotions can come into this. Um, but the last thing we wanted to say is about school. So um, if you can find a bilingual school, or an immersion program 
or even the Saturday schools that a lot of people have um, for heritage language speakers, just a place that is going to put, you know, the emphasis that this is important. Speaking this language is important because a lot of times in public schools, unfortunately, it's just another class. Um, so it's not yeah. really, and it's, the emphasis is And it's there. very often an elective and not a requirement. Yes, yes, that is true. Um, and First things to be cut. A lot of French programs, unfortunately, have been cut yes. because they're just, yeah, not seen as important. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> but we'll, um, and yes. the, the other thing about finding bilingual schools or Saturday classes for your kids is that it's one thing for them to hear adults speak the language, but it's it's when they hear other kids speak it, that's when they will really pick it up and, and um, not switch to the majority language if other kids are speaking that is so true. their native language or their heritage yeah. language. Try mm -hmm. to find groups yeah, that um, is... of other like-minded parents and have their and have your kids interact uh, in that language. Yes, when it is safe to have playgroups, um, you should definitely get all the speakers together that you can and have a playgroup. Because um, yeah, kids are going to learn so much more from each other. You know, they're obviously listening to us and repeating and doing what we do, but they're going to have much more fun. Um, and kids learn through play. So kids speaking the language together is definitely ideal, um, especially you know, if you can't make that trip, find some kids in the neighborhood in your area around that can travel maybe half an hour yeah. and have a play group. Are you enjoying this podcast or this episode in particular? If so, please consider sharing it with a friend that you know would enjoy it or sharing it on your social media feed. If you do share on Instagram, please use the hashtag the future is bilingual so I can see what you've shared. We really appreciate your support. Also, please consider leaving a review at the website ratethispodcast.com slash bilingual. I'll leave a link in the show notes for you. Thank you. So um, to, to help prevent the loss of uh, language and to help stop language attrition, you, you want to engage with your dormant language or your heritage language every day. Um, if you can, you want to take all the trips, um, and and if not, you know, find find speakers of the same language and, and form groups and sign up for uh, bilingual schools or Saturday classes, and um, you know, advocate for your schools to be um, champions of bilingualism, and um, remember that code mixing is okay, and let your kids have fun um, and those will help you. Yeah. Those will help you with the uh, maintenance of your language. Wonderful. Yes, so make it fun, make it enjoyable, right? It shouldn't feel like a chore or a pain, especially when we're trying to pass it on to kids. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and hosting with me. Yeah, it's been fun, yeah. much more fun than talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, and, and I hope that the listeners um, learn some new things and, and enjoy the, um, this format. Yes, so please uh, let us know if you have any comments or suggestions. You can email at TFIB, so that stands for The Future is Bilingual, so podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at The Future is Bilingual, no spaces, no dots. And yeah, we're, we look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to making some more episodes. All right. 
Okay. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Take care.